Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, oh, you stole you stole that uh, banter, banter. Well, uh, I figured with two people away, it would be a really long lull if we left the empty space there. So it, yeah, it's true. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Good afternoon again. The loneliest employee of Canadian Assistive Technology. Or the happiest. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the boss is away, mice can play. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, yes, so as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, only two of us, just me and Ryan today, because the uh, Steve, Mr. Steve Barkley is, of course, away on vacation, and so is Liz Malone. Uh, well deserved in, vacations. Uh, well, I, I'm assuming so. I'm assu- I mean, you would you would have a better idea of whether or not Steve deserved the vacation or not. Yeah, no, he he definitely deserves some time think, away for right. sure. All right, well, we'll give it to him then. All uh, right. Who knows about Liz though? Well, you know, she bailed on us on a couple of our last episodes, right? She just boom gone. So yeah, that's right. Oh, but no. I think what what she go to Lake Tahoe? Is that right? Is that what the, where she is? There's two places like she was going. I don't I think remember. It was Frisco, I think it was San Francisco and Lake Tahoe. Right. Mm. I wonder if they're having a heat wave there. I don't know. Seems Every place seems to be having a heat wave except us, but I'm not complaining. Wait till tomorrow. Oh, is it supposed to get hot tomorrow? I think it's supposed to get warm again this week. Wow. Wow, this has been the weather update. <laughs> <laughs> you always, I mean, but that's, you know what, that's a, that's, this is a side effect of climate change. Uh, we're in the middle of climate change. We're going to talk about the weather a lot. I mean, this is, it's a thing. It's not a cliche. We have to talk about the weather because uh, it's, it's absolutely terrible in most places. So that's why I live in a bunker. Yeah, that's true. Hey, speaking of your bunker, uh, is how are things down there in the Qatar dungeon? Uh, any more rodents or anything? Any? It's, are you all good down there? No? So far, so good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Time, time will tell, though. And no, no bubonic plague or anything. No, not yet. Feeling feverish at all? Nope. Nope. Feeling okay. good this week. All right. Well, good. Well, good. Yep. This is I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited for the show. Sounds like we're both full of energy. Uh, and given that, uh, why don't we uh, let the cat out of the bag and uh, tell the lovely people at home what the heck we're doing? So this week, uh, the guest who has joined us is Melanie Taddeo, who is the executive director and founder of Connect for Life. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. Well, why don't we start by just giving uh, us a little bit of, a, of, of an insight into to who you are and maybe a little bit about, about Connect for Life and how it started. Okay, absolutely. So I want you to picture this. Growing up, I know you guys all had something you dreamt to be, an astronaut, a police officer, whatever. <laughs> for me, it was always a teacher. I was a little girl in front of the classroom, well, actually my bedroom, with my stuffed animals, teaching everything impossible. That was my dream. And then I found my passion of art in high school. I went to university to start art to become an art teacher. Great, right? Uh, except I suffered a massive stroke that left me completely paralyzed, on the left side and legally blind at the age of 21. 
My life was turned upside down and I acquired a disability that I knew nothing about, a world I knew nothing about. But everybody kept saying, it's okay, you're disabled. You can stay home now. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Again, I learned a lot over the next, I'd say, three to five years about advocating for yourself, finding out what I could and couldn't do. See, I had what I call stroke brain. That's not a medical term. It's a Melanie term. It's where you think you can do everything, but really you can't. So I had to find a push the limits, learn about myself, rediscover my abilities. And I went out there and became the first legally blind teacher to graduate in Ontario. Now, this is, of course, dating myself because that was many years ago. But nobody would hire me. I was heartbroken. Hmm. Finally, had learned to just to living my life as a woman who happened to be blind, as well as, you know, got my independence back. But no one let me fulfill my dream. But I met so many great individuals with various disabilities on my journey. And they kept saying, we want to be independent. We want to be independent. I'm like, you can. Wow. So I thought outside the box. And I started Connect for Life, partially to help those that wanted to gain their independence, but also partially to fulfill my dream, to be able to teach and inspire others to achieve their goals. So that's how Connect for Life came to be. The whole idea of advocacy and especially advocating for yourself, I feel like that is such an important skill um, when you are faced with a disability, whether it's one that you were born with or it, especially if it's something, if it's, if it's one that you acquire later in life, advocating for yourself isn't, isn't really easy for some people. Can you, can you speak a little bit about, about how sort of your, your sort of personal journey helped you sort of ease into this this sort of world of advocacy and how you sort of spun that out into uh in, into what you're doing with connect for life absolutely so i remember being in the hospital the rehab hospital and telling them i'm going to go back and move out on my own right away again that stroke brain popped up <laughs> but they kept saying no you need to move home with your parents you need to this you telling me what i need to do and i, I i'm determined i say my father would say i'm stubborn but let's face it, determination sounds much nicer. But I realized even advocating with my family and the medical staff, I needed to speak up. I needed to have a voice. But I was afraid because I was so dependent on them at that point in my life. But as I started to get out there and start to talk to people, I, I was watching. It was like an art form for me, especially for individuals that I had come across that had not acquired the disability later in life, but were born with it. And they had it down to a science. They were great. They were adamant, passionate, but yet respectfully done. You know, of course you see everybody that, you know, stomps their feet, raises their voices in the real world. Of course, that's not gonna get you far. Maybe when you're a toddler, but not as an adult. But then these individuals were just so eloquent and they were clear and concise. And it was amazing what they could do. So I really started to practice the art of advocating for myself, just like that. Now, I'll tell you, there were some times it wasn't very effective, and you learn from your mistakes. But what I designed for our program for Connect Life was how to effectively advocate for yourself in any area. Because let's face it, whether you're dealing with an employer in the education field, or even just with your own family, you need to be able to advocate and ask for what you need in order to get that effectively but yet control your own journey because that's the other thing a lot of people feel that individuals with disabilities 
need the help. They need people and really, truly, yeah, everybody needs somebody, but we are so able to do things on our own, but sometimes we need to advocate so people are aware of the boundaries. So 27 years ago when I lost my sight, there weren't a lot of resources available and I had a lot of the same attitudes. You're going to have to go home and live with your parents. And, you know, at that time I wasn't living with my parents, so that wasn't an option. And so I can understand the, the frustration, the, the striving to be independent on your own, spread your wings and try to break down some of the barriers. And it is a frustrating experience trying to find somebody who will open a door for you and, and give you that motivation, that encouragement, that confidence that you can move forward. And it does is it, and that again, I lost my eyesight 27 years ago as well, actually this week, believe it or not. And it was mind boggling, the lack of resources that provided motivation to be independent. There's so many great resources out there, but not focusing on skill development to gain that independence or regain that independence. So that's why Connect for Life for me was so important. I wasn't trying to copy any organization. I wanted to be unique in the sense that we offered people the tools they needed at their own decisions of telling me what they needed so that they could then achieve their goals. And it also must be really difficult too, because you know, when, when people go through this, this uh, process of say losing their vision, for example, I mean, there's so much going on. It's, it's not just a matter of they, they need to be sort of retrained in terms of uh, other skills or learn how to sort of navigate the world um, under these new conditions, but they're also going through like a, a grieving process. And, you know, there's, there's counseling and all of that type of thing can be really, really hard to go through all at the same time. Um, do, you, do you find that you, you're sort of helping support uh, people through those types of, of situations as well? Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's so funny because everybody grieves differently, whether, you know, it's grieving for that person you were before, but getting to that stage of acceptance is a journey on their own. So you have to provide them those resources, whether it's through counseling or peer support, but really just even being there for a conversation about what does this look like? Why is it not going the way I wanted to? How, what do I want it now? Okay, I totally get it. <laughs> I wanted it back then, the next day. But I wouldn't have become the individual I am today if I had taken the shortcut, not gone through the journey. So really having those conversations with people is a big part of what we do and really spending the time and acknowledging that everybody's journey is different. So in that sense, like, do you guys have mentoring programs or, or how important is building, building a like sort of a network of support and having mentors involved? How important is that in the programs? Well, the beautiful thing about our organization, first of all, we're small. It's a grassroots organization, but it's run by individuals with disabilities. So we get it. We have the lived experience. We bring our knowledge. So all of the members of our, like the main core uh, individuals have had lived experiences, whether from birth or acquired later in life. So they act as mentors. But then we also have our board of directors, which is a combination of both individuals with disabilities and other people with extra talents in certain areas that we don't have the expertise in. And they come and they share their knowledge with us. But yet everybody that is a mentor obviously has that lived experience to be there, to listen, to help run the programs. And we have just 
in the last year or so, launched our Connect for Wellness program, which is all about mental health because coping with mental health when you have a disability is very different than everything else they're talking about because you have it in other areas. It's not just the pandemic. It's not just loss. It's so much more than that. And so it's been a really great program to have a safe space for everybody to come and just say, I'm struggling. What do I do? And it's been an amazing journey the last year and a half on this. So how frustrating is it to sort of know that, that we really in Canada, we really don't have enough resources and services and organizations like yours out there to really fill the need that's that's out there. Oh, it is so frustrating. Uh, we are continuously because we're not funded. We are solely on donations and fundraising. You know, yes, you get the odd grant here and there, but that's not long standing. But it's the passion and the dedication of our many volunteers to keep it going. If I could, my dream would to have a Connect for Life in every province. Yes, we right now we're focused on Ontario, but if somebody comes to me from another province, I'm going to help them to the best of my ability from where they are. Um, even, you know, maybe it's not about actual programs in their province, but that lived experience, that con conversation we just had about advocacy, that stuff we can help because it's right across the country. It doesn't matter. That's stuff that we can just share. But oh, I'd have one in every province, an office in every province would be my dream. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, we we often we talk to a lot of organizations on the podcast, um, you know, because because our one of our mandates here is to try to, you know, give um, different organizations around the country um, a bit of a spotlight because it can be really overwhelming to try to find um, services in say your given province uh, because there, there's just there's so many really really small grassroots organizations out there that are doing amazing work but they're not big enough to really necessarily ma make themselves easy to find and there really doesn't seem to be any really sort of central hub uh, of, of like a listing of every single different organization in every province. Do you kind of see that as, as a oh, bit of yes. a, a problem? Um, yes, absolutely. You know, all the big organizations, the CNIB, the March of Dimes, they're amazing, but they've been around for so long. People know them. That's a household name. When you ask, even like in Ontario, do you know Connect for Life? Who? <laughs> and I've been working on this for eight years. And as much as you can do promotion on social media, on websites, et cetera, et cetera, going on and talking and doing, you know, outreach to all these organizations, it only goes so far, especially if it's a small team. So having a central hub would be essential and something that would definitely be warranted in all provinces as well as across Canada. And I know there's been a couple of attempts, definitely in Ontario, of these different listings. But if people don't know these listings exist, what good are they? Yeah, and the challenge is, is that, you know, the organizations that are big enough to be on people's radars, you know, so the CNIBs, the CCBs, I mean, they're, they're all great and they're all doing, you know, really great work, but they're also, you know, overtaxed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know what it's like in Ontario, but I know certainly in BC, talking to people in the blindness community here, uh, they don't always get the services that they need in, in a timely manner. Um, it's a common frustration for people to just not be able to, to get access to things like orientation and mobility uh, in, the time that the, in the time frame that they need or to get even like special niche services that, 
that their per particular condition um, might require. So, you know, we need uh, all of these different organizations, I think. But it's just, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's just getting the word out there. It can be really challenging. And for the people who are, who are out there searching, having no place to go other than to just Google and hope for the best, uh, I mean, that's, that's just so not ideal. That's right. And I remember when my, again, many years ago, but when my parents, we knew nothing about disability at all, let alone where to look for resources mm -hmm. and nobody was offering information. You know, yes, CNIB came up to the rehab hospital and that was great, but I was in a rehab hospital to learn to walk again. And I was the youngest person at 21. Everybody else was seniors and they couldn't provide the support that I needed to rejuvenate my life, talk about careers, talk about marriage, talk about those sort of things that I still wanted to achieve because most of the, their clientele had already been through all that. So it was really that gap. And that's where I was like, okay, we need to really design programs that base, meet people where they are, not what we think they need. Even another problem with the CNIB is that, um, you know, they can only do so much. They, they, they have limited resources as well. Because really, you know, somebody who has gone through vision loss, they have a variety of different needs from, from mental health needs right through to, um, you know, job retraining. Uh, and that's, that's a big chunk. And it's certainly much more than one organization uh, can handle, especially given that, you know, CNIBs are also regional. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you happen to be in a remote part of the province, uh, you might not have access to... Yep. A, a CNIB office, right? Ryan, you, you went through that when you lost your vision, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't in, you know, out in the bush. I was living in Kamloops at the time. And, you know, they had a little satellite office there, but all the O&M orientation mobility came out of Vancouver or came out of Kelowna. And so it was once or twice a month, right? So, you know, in order to gain your independence, gain your mobility, learn your roots, took twice as long as it would have if I would have lived in Vancouver. Um, you know, learning Braille was done by correspondence. So yeah, there's, there's still a lack of services today. And of course, using Zoom and other virtual platforms have, have bridged that gap to a certain extent, but you know, it's also shown that there's a lot of isolation out there and people need to be in touch with people, uh, you know, physically, um, emotionally making contact, making those connections on a, on a regular basis. So, you no, know, and that's why it's so important for partnerships. You know, you're right. CNIB offers so many amazing programs. They changed my life when I lost my eyesight. But Absolutely. For us, as you know, we get a lot of people who are struggling, like I, I need services, but they're, they're, there's a huge waiting list and it's because they are taxed. They're, they, they don't have enough people go around because there's so many people who need services. So having partnerships with other organizations like Balance for Blind Adults or anything else that's out there that can help with any aspect of services in the meantime, at least. So there's like a, a tie over until you know those services become available again. It's just, we don't want people just swaying in the wind, just holding on for dear life to survive when there's opportunities for these other organizations to bridge that gap. And I was just going to say a perfect example of this is the Rogers outage a week ago. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if everybody just got off their high horses and started working together, there'd be no gaps in the system anymore, but everybody wants to do their own thing, their own way. These are my customers. You can't have access to them. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And that has to change. Definitely. Don't get me on my rant. <laughs> That's right. Last week was your, was your rant show. You got to wait, wait three weeks. To, All to right. Let's <laughs> um, so talk, talk to me a little bit then about, about when, you, when you first started Connect for Life and you started putting together the different programs. Was that sort of a strategy for you? Did you kind of look at the, the different holes that were, say, in the system and try to fill those? So yes and no. So I had had, I had started a learning center for adults with disabilities to teach life skills first. And that was a great experiment. Just recommendation, don't do it with your own money. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was great. It taught me a lot. It taught me about what was needed. So yes, the daily living skills was definitely essential life skills, but it was more than that. How to use a computer, job readiness, understanding relationships, toxic versus healthy. Uh, so having these conversations with people with various disabilities really opened my eyes, pardon the pun, but uh, to really understand the depth and dif- differences in different people's lives. So yes, I may know a lot about vision loss and I may understand about you know paralysis and learning to walk again, but there was a lot of stuff I had to learn. And I talked to a lot of different groups of people from different disabilities, as well as the people that were there to help them in different organizations. And I asked them simple questions. In a perfect world, what would you like to learn? And what, where would you get it? And if it didn't exist, why do you think it doesn't exist? And one thing I noticed is that a lot of people with various disabilities loved technology. They loved radio they loved all this great stuff with media and I was like "Uh uh-oh I know nothing about this (laughs) so I also knew though I couldn't read brochures to get information and I also knew that there had to be another platform to share information so I started to think outside the box and I thought wouldn't it be really great to have a radio station where people could learn about resources that were out there but also these individuals that I'm meeting would have a platform to be able to share and practice their craft so I started Voices for Ability Radio, which was the first 24-7 internet radio station for about and by people with disabilities. And this was great, but again, I knew nothing. So I had reached out to David Onley, and he was Lieutenant Governor at the time. And he said to me, have you heard of AMI? I'm like, no, what's that? <laughs> He's like, you're blind and you haven't heard of AMI? I'm like, nope. So he told me about Accessible Media Inc. And I reached out to them and they were amazing. They taught me a lot about audio and about things like that. And I did a lot of research and I contacted all the colleges and universities with the radio broadcasting programs. And I asked them, how many people with disabilities are in your programs? And they said, none. I said, why? Oh, but we don't have the equipment. We don't have the the supports, blah, blah. That's not acceptable. And I dug deeper and I did research in the industry, broadcasting industry and only 2% of employees in all of Canada in this broadcasting field had disabilities. I'm like, this is disgusting. <laughs> so I created a program to help train individuals with various disabilities about accessible, it's called an accessible voice and broadcasting about radio broadcasting. And this is a very introductory course. Now it started off all about radio broadcasting, but it's evolved into podcasting. It's evolved into it's, it just has grown so far and we've developed a beautiful relationship with AMI, CBC and all the other broadcasters out there that help come do guest lecturing. They, you know, really get the clients that take the course, get a hands-on. It's a 20 week course, 
now it's virtual, which is great for people that are far from us. Um, but we send out equipment to their house. They learn about voice. They, they learn about how to record, how to edit, all that fun stuff. And then their content can go on our radio station or they can create their own podcast that they can monetize on. Whatever they want, they can put a demo reel together and then go on to post-secondary if they want. But it's a free opportunity for them to learn if they like it or not because it's something worse than going to school for something they hate. So it's really expanded. So asking those questions of where the gaps were and then creating programs to fit those were the beginning stages. Now, since then, again, with the pandemic, huge things have come up, the isolation, the loneliness, the mental health. So then you create programs at a necessity and that was the Connect for Wellness program. But really listening to individuals with disabilities, whether our clients or not, just having conversations and finding out, we started an introduction to public speaking course as well over the last couple of years because people were afraid to advocate because they didn't like the way they sounded or they, I can't take radio broadcasting because I, I can't even talk, I'm so scared. So again, programs pop up and we kind of say, okay, is this just a one-off or is this something that's straight across the bar? Lots of surveys, lots of conversations, lots of focus groups. And that's how we found out where we needed to do our work. Well, and for some of us, it doesn't matter how many microphones you buy, how much equipment you have, or how much money you spend on the equipment. I still hate my voice. So. And there we go. It's what we say. You have to learn to listen to your voice and just accept it. Absolutely. How difficult is it for you to come up with these programs and services? Because as your website says, you cater to people with disabilities, plural, yeah. not blindness, not low vision, Got disabilities. It. So that spectrum is vast. <laughs> it is. It is. But again, I have my background as special education teacher. So I know how to accommodate any lesson plan to meet the needs, the learning needs of anybody. Right. So for example, in our radio broadcasting program, we have individuals who are blind. We have individuals with autism. We have individuals that have physical disabilities. So the accommodation piece that they need, we start off at the very beginning. They let us know how we can best support them. This is my favorite question. How can I mm -hmm. best support you? to be successful and whatever they need, we provide it for them. And so the content is the same, perhaps it may be accommodated in certain ways, whether it's extensions of times for assignments or perhaps extra uh, sessions with a Reaper. Right, yeah. <laughs> Editing is not fun, at any, whether you can see or not, but yeah, mm -hmm. definitely having those extra sessions and really having that open dialogue. Okay, how are you doing? What, what are you struggling with? Let's let's accommodate. So yes, that piece I'm very blessed with because of having that background. But I will say this, there are some programs that we've had to say, you know what, can we fulfill this need? Not that we're excluding anybody, but if we're not giving them quality programming, is it going to? So if we're not able to do it, is there another resource we can provide for them? Because we don't do recreation. We don't do sports. We do not do music. So who's out there that does that stuff? Let me connect you with them. So I never want to leave anyone hanging. That's my biggest thing. I find it really interesting, this link between say, say public speaking skills uh, and even broadcasting skills and how that can really link to um, advocacy and advocating for yourself, uh, which, you know, again, to sort of to tie things back to what we were talking about initially uh, is, is so important and can be hard for a lot of people to do you know i think what it starts with is the fear okay so fear is always there am i going to sound like i know what i'm talking about am i going to come across as aggressive you know whatever it might be our fear in that 
little voice in our mind, as well as so many people growing up, depending on our backgrounds, have been told, you know, you shouldn't speak out, you should just keep your thoughts to yourself, behave, all those things, right? So we have all these predisposed beliefs in our mind that also play into the sphere. And then not knowing communication is key when effectively communicating an idea. You have to make sure that the person listening hears what you're saying. But if you go on and on and on and on, tell 10 stories to get your point across, that's not going to work, especially when there's so many different styles of communication. I always use this example. My husband's a direct communicator and I'm supportive, which means I like to share anecdotes and stories because to me, it illustrates things and helps people understand. But he's like, get to the point. What do you say? <laughs> That's not, <laughs> so, just, not just your husband. That's okay, me too. <laughs> and so until I understood that, now I changed my communication style. When I talked to my husband, I just give him the facts. And then if I, after he is interested in hearing my story, then I'll share it. <laughs> So I think just sharing that piece is huge mm -hmm. and it's great. I'm an avid Toastmaster. I've been a Toastmaster for nine years and I love the program, but for me, it just gave me that confidence, especially after losing my, my eyesight, because I was afraid. I, and now I make jokes. I'm like, well, if you're laughing or you're rolling your eyes at me, I can't see you anyway. So go for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's just, you know, really, truly whatever is going to make you confident and feel good about what you have to say, because people need to hear it. And that's where advocacy comes back to it, right? So who better to advocate for ourselves than ourselves, but who better to learn from ourselves than other people with disabilities? That's where I learned everything I know about living with disabilities from others that have lived the experience. And if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to share it with my clients either. Yeah, you know, we we talk so much about the need for education. And and I think that this is the the other great thing about these programs is that you know, podcasting and and radio, they're not only are there their mediums that really fit well say within within the blindness community, um but it's they're also great platforms for educating mm -hmm. and for connecting people. For somebody who's who is say going through um vision loss being able to hear other people's stories or being able to hear somebody on the radio or another podcast, mm -hmm. like that can be an incredibly valuable experience for somebody. Yes. And having people say, if they can do it, so can I. So when we have people like Kelly McDonald and Ramia from Kelly and Company on AMI or Kai Black from CBC who are living in, with disabilities, they come and they inspire my class. They're like, wow, I can do this too. You know, it seems like almost achievable because we have role models. And that's the one great thing I love about um, a lot of our guest speakers. They are individuals with various disabilities in broadcasting. And it's great to hear their struggles and how they overcame them. And what is so great is they empower our clients to keep going, to keep trying. And they're open to having that conversation with them, even after they finish the program, just to, you know, give a little start, a start, a little nudge in the right direction, whatever it might be. But I think, you know, especially when you're going through that grieving time, especially, and you feel so alone, it's only me that's going through this. And you hear a podcast about somebody's experience and how they overcame it. Wow. That's powerful. That's right. The other component of this too that I think is really valuable too is that for every person that goes out the door and goes out into the world and is doing their thing, whatever it is, and other people are seeing them and interacting with them, I think that that improves society in general too because 
you know, people are seeing that disability isn't something scary or something to, to be avoided or whatever their, their reaction is. It's normalized to a point where we can sort of start removing the, the stigma of disability um, in the greater community and really start to drive, drive forward the idea of, you know, uh, inclusion and accessibility. Absolutely. And this is it. my goal is it for it to be the norm, not an afterthought, right? That that this is where we need to get. And that's right. The more that people are out there, the more people are talking about it, the more aware people and more comfortable they'll be. I've given up hope on society. Oh, I, I read, hope not. I, I read Twitter too much. No, like Rob said, you know, we talk about education all the time on this show. And you know, I, I get so tired of, we need to educate, we need to educate, we need to educate. At some point, I think, you know, I've, and I've mentioned this before, I think we just need a disability uprising. We need to <laughs> gather together and actually put aside our pettiness. And, you know, my disability is better than your disability and storm the legislature, have a parade. We need to make our voices heard. We're the largest minority group in the world yes. and we're not doing anything about it <laughs> we're all well, we're all segregated doing our own thing you know it's interesting isn't it because that's the thing a lot of organizations are specialized on certain types of disabilities and i understand the need for that in many aspects sure yeah but for me i'm thinking but everybody wants to learn the skills so and i think it's really good for our clients to see the different disabilities because they don't get it they know what they live mm. so it's been a great experience for that so i see your point yay yeah, well, <laughs> Brian, when, when are you storming of the legislature? Okay, I wouldn't maybe go that extreme, but I understand where he's coming from. I see it. So, uh, I wave yeah, my banners. He's, he's been on this for a while. Just, it's okay. Just, just, just humor him. He's. <laughs> fine um no but the community of itself it's such a huge community and you're absolutely right part of the challenge is of this is that there are so many gradients to disability mm-hmm. uh and there are so many individual needs i mean it's it's just so far reaching that sure it can be a challenge and not only that there's no other community that has people can you anybody can enter into that community at any point in their life and you know honestly the chances are that they probably will at some point Mm -hmm. so you know it it's so funny i i i kind of shake my head at at the stupidity of human nature sometimes because you know we're avoiding addressing a lot of these issues that most of us are probably going to be facing um in our in our lifetime but yet it's uncomfortable to think about or we're scared to think about it. So we just kind of shove it off and, you know, out of sight, out of mind. We don't want to think about it. And this is it, like from every level, government, right down to individuals. This is something we have to face because not only is the population aging and that brings disability, but the reality is the how lifestyles people are living are going to lead to disability. So I you know, whether it's conversations at legislator, legislative, or if it's going to be having conversations at home about this. Like my my parents' generation, people with disabilities were put away in institutions. Yeah. So of course, when I acquired a disability, they were having a conniption. What do we do? I'm like, uh, nothing. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. You're just going to deal, you know, and has that re-education, that 
breaking a belief system down and having these conversations candidly with our families because you're right it is going to hit everybody at some point in their lives whether it's themselves or somebody they know well so uh, so talk to us a little bit about some of the other uh, programs uh okay. that are available um All right. what so, else do you guys sort of do okay so we do a lot of li life skill workshops obviously we do you know and that that ranges everything from as simple as you know um we do advocacy obviously there's huge advocacy piece we do um how to uh, do resume so job readiness things we also talk about meditation we talk about things that will help healthy living you know what to you know what you should eat the importance of sleep things like that but also on uh, bullying that's a huge piece we find a lot of people are being bullied on social media so safety of safe social media you know and even though we serve adults 18 and over depending on the disability and depending on the understanding of what bullying actually is. And then of course, for people that get it, just not reading into the rhetoric and you know miscommunication, misinformation, all that stuff. So the, it really varies. And again, we base it on what people are looking for. We've had people say, I need sessions on how to use my smartphone. Well, we don't do that. So let me connect with somebody who does. And that's when I send them off with depending on their disability to certain facilities that will show them exactly what they can do with their smartphone. Like I could do that. I could show them about my smartphone and my love-hate relationship with Siri. However, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's probably not going to be very effective for everybody. And again, it varies from season to season as well, because with pandemic, all of a sudden, what do I do at home? What can I do with my time? Well, have you discovered your creative side? You know, we, we did a paint night last year. We did um, a lot of uh, different tactile things so that depending on what's going on in the society, in society, in community, whatever, whatever people are saying, you know, I really want something like this. We'll find somebody to do a workshop. So that's the life skills. We've got obviously voices for ability. We're always looking for volunteers, whether they're hosting a show, doing some editing. And that's the great thing. You can do that from home. A lot of these things you can do from home now that we're virtual with Zoom. And we have done uh, some very basic exercise, you know, again, during the pandemic more than anything, because let's face it, we all were not active when we were in lockdown. And we, again, don't want to reinvent the wheel. So if there's something out there that already exists, we're going to get people to come and talk about their programs so that others can go and join their programs because I'm not about poaching clients and I'm not about reinventing the wheel. That doesn't make sense. Uh, the public speaking one has been very, very popular. And I also do a workshop on how to craft your stories. So whether it's for a speech, whether it's to write a book, podcast you know whatever to share your story so that's something i'm passionate about you know because i'm an author and i thought that was the most cathartic experience for me i'm very big on journaling all that stuff so we've had a lot of workshops on that but our advocacy referral process so when people contact us looking for help if we don't have it we have a list of resources in ontario i'll say i'll be honest it's only ontario right now but we are looking like i said to expand that stuff and we share resources. We talk to people with different organizations. We make those connections because sometimes, you know, it's hard to find on Google or it's overwhelming what they're going through and they want to talk to 10 people. So it may do a connection if we know an organization that would be a better support them. So, and then we have the advocacy piece where people may be struggling at work. They're not getting the accommodations they need, but they're afraid to speak up. They don't want to lose their jobs. They'll come to us and we'll have that conversation with them see how we can best support them. Sometimes it's going in and doing it in service for that company to understand what accommodations actually are 
which is really sad that we still have to do that. But, you know, <laughs> we will do whatever it takes to help our clients bridge that gap or feel comfortable about the situation. Uh, we've had so many people contest about housing, things like that. That's stuff we don't specialize in, but if we can help connect people with or refer people to an organization that does focus on that, that's what we do. And then, of course, we do fundraising because that's always fun, isn't it? No. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was definitely <laughs> so but in person we used to do a lot of great comedy nights and dances and galas and all that fun stuff bowling but now we've had to do virtual so we've done a couple of virtual things like the paint night we did virtually that was interesting we've done um inspirational speaking um that was really powerful beginning of the pandemic when everybody's feeling this loss of hope but also a lot of online fundraising we're going to have a great silent auction for our radio station in the fall all memorabilia from famous artists um, meaning musicians so that's going to be really exciting so a lot of things that go on connect for life that people can get involved in whether it's volunteering coming if people have program ideas that they've always wanted to test out and they want some volunteer experience i'm love to have a conversation but really the main one is our broadcasting program. That seems to be our ma major focus because that seems to be the most popular at this time. How do we get involved in the silent auction? I need another guitar. Oh, there you go. Actually, we're gonna have tons <laughs> of them. So yeah, definitely stay in touch. Um, voices, the number, so it's V4A. So V, the number 4A, radio.com. Our radio station is undergoing some changes. It's all 100% Canadian artists, emerging artists right now, but our talk shows are on a little hiatus but we're going to get them back up and running um and then we're going to have all the information there so v4aradio.com will be all the information will be there or connectforlife.ca you'll have all the details there and it's going to start i think we're starting to roll it at late fall so please stay tuned excellent so sorry going back to to talking a little bit about the the organizations that you try to connect people with mm -hmm. how big of a challenge is that for you in in terms because i mean it, it must kind of be hard because somebody must come to you with a, a specific problem and then you know it, it might require um quite a bit of research to try yes. to find um an organization that that's the right fit for them yeah and it's just so it doesn't happen overnight for sure because you want to make sure that a it's the right fit because there's nothing worse than getting a referral to something that's totally not what you're looking for so having several conversations with the individual looking for help then contacting the different organizations that might fit the bill and explaining without disclosing anything, you know, do you do this sort of thing? I have somebody who may be interested. And then making that connection, the personal connection. So again, nobody's just hanging on, waiting around. There's continuous conversation so they feel at least that they've been connected. And then follow up, because even though you've referred somebody, that doesn't mean that it's done, because what if they get referred and the person forgets them? And then it looks bad on you, uh, even though it's not you, you've done your part, but I always try to stay in touch and just touch base, you know, are you okay? Do you require anything else? That sort of thing. But really building the relationship with the other organizations is key. So we obviously have a great relationship with CNIB, with Balance for Blind Adults, the March Dimes, different hospitals in the area, because again, many disabilities are acquired later. And Community Living uh, Development Services Ontario, many different organizations, and just really going out to all these different resource fairs, finding out what other organizations are out there and having those conversations. Because again, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If there's an employment special 
test program for individuals with disabilities, I want to know about it. And because there's a lot of people looking for work and it, sometimes their service provider isn't getting them what they need. So maybe they need to explore. So having that list of resources and then counseling is the biggest gap. So there's a lot of programs that are offering free counseling but you have to have criteria. And if you don't fit that criteria, it's not free anymore. All of a sudden, there's just sliding scale. So having those conversations to see if it's the right fit does take time, for sure. Well, and I want to I talk a little bit about that, actually, because I really do feel personally that, that mental health programs across the board, not, not just within the disability community, but just like mental health services, uh, is still something that in Canada, we really need more of, mm -hmm. um, it, it, whether that be, um, you know, regular counseling sessions for people um, that, that are affordable or, or whatever, uh, just places to go to really have mental health check-ins. But I would imagine within the disability community, that's even more so because again, to go back to talking about, say, something like vision loss, where somebody does have a very specific um, pathway that they're on in terms of, of mental health. Um, that you know is is that something that we really need to to beef up um, within that community as well? Yes, most definitely. Because again, not only is it the mental health piece, but it's the disability related piece that goes along with that. So imagine, well, I, I speak for myself. After acquiring my disability, I also developed huge anxiety. I couldn't see where I was going anymore. Oh my gosh, what if? What if? What if? So all of a sudden, now I'm faced with another dilemma, and again not knowing anything about it, you know, you get sent out to your doctor and they talk to them, oh, you should join this support group. And they're all talking about things you don't relate to because nobody else in the group has vision loss. So it's less like, okay, they don't get it. They're worried about whatever they're, they're dealing with. So you really want to find in the programs that we're referring people to, is there that counseling piece for that disability and it may not be so for example in our connect for wellness program we just ran we had individuals with intellectual disability somebody with vision loss somebody that had physical disability so they all have a disability but it's a different disability so they're examples yeah they're suffering from anxiety yes they're suffering from whatever but they have it through a different way so not only are we learning from one another but our um our counselor is able to address it because they too have lived experience. So this is the beautiful thing. And I, I firmly believe, especially as a special education teacher, who better to teach or share or listen than somebody that's been through it themselves? Because that way you connect, you can have real tangible things. So yes, we need to beef this up in all areas. And this is where the mental health funding needs to go. Um, because unfortunately, we hear too, too many times of people taking their own lives. And when you have disability on top of mental health, it can be very overwhelming and too taxing for many people. So we want to address this for sure. In your eight, nine, 10 years of being part of running, organizing, Connect for Life, is there one major hurdle or barrier that is common amongst all the dis persons with disabilities that you are speaking to, engaging with? Okay, so absolutely. Okay, so I have two. <laughs> one, one for the organizations, all disability organizations, 
it's that barrier funding. Okay, mm. first and foremost, for individuals with disabilities, it's going to be employment would yeah. be the biggest one. Unemployment, yeah. I should say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's 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 just it's rapid. It's it's terrible. Like I do so many presentations to employers. I don't know how many times I said, you know, accommodations do not have to be expensive. There's funding out there to help you. You know, people with abilities, they have abilities. Don't look at the disability. It just it's so I feel like I hit my head against the wall. Oh, absolutely. Treat- you know, housing an issue. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. people are on social assistance mm-hmm. and they can't afford to put food on the table. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The whole social system has to change. Yeah, it does. And then they need to ask people living with the experience rather than just what they think looks good. Well, there's that whole nothing about us without us, right? You got it. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's just keep it going, please. <laughs> yep. No, it's true. You know, and especially in a time right now where, where, you know, a lot of businesses are saying, wow, it's, it's impossible to find people. It's like, well, listen, <laughs> not really. And the yeah, exactly. I know a... so many people looking right now. <laughs> just yeah. But it's yeah, the... that's right. There's this untapped resource and you mm-hmm. just have to be willing to, to sort of take a chance and, and become, you know, a bit educated about accessibility and, yeah. and adapted and an adapted workplace, which isn't hard. It's not rocket science at all. But that's that's another issue too. Is you know I was un- unemployed for a, a short period of time, and I guess foolish me, I went to an employment agency, just mainstream employment agency, saying here are my skills, here's kind of what I'm good at, here's what I'm kind of looking for, and like oh well great you know what about this this and this okay well you know I I need to learn the route to get there because I use a white cane oh well hmm, how are we going to do that yeah. you know it was just the whole coordination of everything right and they just didn't understand that I couldn't just show up get the job or do the interview there was a process that had to be involved then also you get the the service providers for employment for people with disabilities but you're like oh here you get a job to Martin so stocking shelves no no no, no. I'm a professional <laughs> well, yeah I'm a, so, yeah. again there's always going to be some aspect that needs to change but we'll get yes. there yes I yeah where do you get your optimism from <laughs> <laughs> well you know you have to but please know there's nothing wrong with stocking shelves and nothing wrong with Tim Hortons my goodness absolutely not but again when you have bachelors and all this experience and stuff and just pigeonhole people because you have a disability that frustrates me sure yeah i'm just gonna i'll be phoning the legislature and warning them that uh ryan might be i'm on my way with my group (laughs) (laughs) ready to storm the place that's Uh, right Well, listen, Melanie, uh, we want to thank you so much for uh, taking some time out and talking with us about Connect for Life. Um, If people are interested in the many programs uh, that you offer, uh, where can people find you guys? So connect the number four life.ca is our website. Please be mindful. It is under renovations. Once again, it's there, but it's not beautiful in the sense it's we're working on the accessibility, we're working on the content, we're just shifting gears because again, as programs come up, so it, you know, it is current, but it may not be beautiful, please. And uh, we are working towards that, but that's the best way you can contact us there. Please email me, melanie at connectthenumberfourlife.ca. And again, I'm happy to have a conversation, set up a Zoom call, whatever you guys need. Again, Melanie, thanks so much. Uh, best of luck. And uh, by all means, uh, reach out and, and uh, contact us if you ever want to come on again and, and talk, right. some more, talk some more programs. Absolutely. Thank you so very much for the opportunity. Lots of information from another organization that most people probably don't know exists. I know. It's, she's not wrong. We, we need 
three of these in every province. Like, forget one. We need like three of them. Three well, and, regional... you know, and, and just listening to that whole conversation, you know, she was talking about, you know, the needs of people, you know, there's this gap here, this gap here, housing and so on. You know, I remember our show we did with Inclusio out of Calgary, right? Accessible living. And you just don't hear about these places being built. Yeah. You know, governments are setting so many aside in new developments and stuff, but it's just not enough. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you're right. We need this advocacy movement happening. We need these organizations to just all, we need to come together and let our voices be heard. These are our needs. Stop ignoring us. We're taxpayers, we're employees, we're business owners, you know, like start paying attention to us. <laughs> That's right. Pay attention to us when we're setting fire to the parliament building. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, now I'm stirring the pot. Just no, kidding. It's, just it's, kidding just, for it's true, right? Like, you know, we, like how many organizations, organizations have we spoken to that we hear the same story that Melanie just yeah. shared, right? Yeah. You know, she's probably worked off her feet. And yeah. she's just in Ontario. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you think about the the, the need across the entire country. Uh, it is. It's it it does feel overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and you know, just one or two organiz large organizations, they, they're not going to have the resources to to do everything. And no, the country's too vast. It's silly to think that they can. Like CNIB can't do it all. No, they shouldn't mm -hmm. be doing it all. I mean, well, they're and great for what they do, but. Um, you know, there's going to be other smaller organizations that we need to sort of take up the slack. Yeah. What if you're living way up north in the Yukon Whitehorse? You know, there's going to be services there, but again, not the same as you would have in a, a major center such as Vancouver, Toronto, you know, LA, Chicago. Um, you know, we need these grassroots organizations everywhere. But you know what's what's really interesting and that I hadn't really thought about before we had Melanie on uh, was this link again, you know, and I brought this up in the interview, but this link between um, public speaking and broadcasting and mm -hmm. advocacy, because we need the other thing that we need is we need more advocates out there. We need more people making noise, like you said. And when people feel confident in, in speaking and they feel passionate about being advocates, the more of them out there the better yeah and i think again you know i'm going to come back to i think we need this hive mentality to to do the advocacy right you know we've got the onesies twosies that are you know the whatever you want to call them the trendsetters on twitter or or the youtube stars or you know we've got so and so giving a speech to parliament about accessible whatever cities smart cities accessible transit you know, that's one, two, three people talking about one topic. I just, I still think we need this hive mentality. We need to come together more so yeah. than we do. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take, but, you know, we got this group on the left talking what, you know, what's important to them. We got the group on the right. You know, we've got people living with autism, which, you know, we know is a spectrum, like vision impairments, a spectrum. We got, you know, people in wheelchairs, they have their needs. Like, like I said before, it's, we're the largest minority group in the world yep. and yet the world's still ignoring us. Yeah, exactly. Until the moment that they enter that, that yeah. community and then it's, oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. It's just, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. What's it, What do we got to do? I don't know. I don't hmm. know. Send your comments and suggestions. 
<laughs> See, maybe maybe it's a live show. Maybe that will solve all the problems. Well, there's a, there's a whole there's the topic starter for the live show. Yeah. I think we just put a GoPro on your head with a little helmet <laughs> and then send you up towards the legislature and just watch you <laughs> rapping on the doors. Let me in. Listen to me. On rocks at the building and getting arrested. I pay my taxes just like you do. That's right. Hmm. Mm. Well, well, we're not going to solve any problems today, I'm afraid. No, but we're sharing no. information that will be hopefully informative and important to somebody who may yep. reach out to Melanie and have their lives changed. That's right. Uh, well, anything else to say about that? Or shall we wrap it up? Yeah, I think we can wrap it up a little on the early side, but that's all right. More time sure for dinner. We are. I think we're, I think we're right on time. Okay. Actually. But whenever. Um, well, okay. Now we got to we gotta completely recalibrate this because I don't think we've done, we haven't done like just me and you uh, <clears throat> show for ages. Oh, so, easy peasy. Uh, okay. Well, let me, let's try this out. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Hey, where can people find us? They can find us at atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. And they can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And guess what else? Uh, I don't what? I don't think we can find them anywhere else. They can listen to us on Spotify. Yep. On True. Apple Podcasts. Yep. Google Podcasts. Guilty as charged. Anywhere they listen to podcasts, they can right. listen to AT Banter. And you know what they should do, really, if they are doing that? They should really leave us a like or subscribe or follow or just press whatever button is in front of you there on your app or your uh, internet browser. Just click all the buttons uh, and because uh, it would help us out a lot. Yeah, give us at least a rating on Apple Podcasts if, if that's where you listen. And, you know, that just goes to show that you appreciate what we're doing. You can send a check to Ryan for $10. Just no, 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 I don't need their money. Okay. I just need their ears. <laughs> oh my God, he's collecting ears. <laughs> a necklace of ears over there? What's wrong with you? Better to hear you. Yeah. Oh, God. All right, wow. Let me pull up my ear satchel. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, all right this is going off the rails uh, all, right. all right hey that is going to about do it for us for this week thanks everybody for listening in and big thanks to melanie for joining us and we will see everybody next week bye this podcast has been brought to you by canadian assistive technology providing low vision and blindness solutions across canada Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 